Good morning. Okay, this coming Friday, Broncos kick off full-time in training camp. Now, two years ago, we helped to will the Avs to the championship. This last year, we helped to will the Nugs, and this year, we are going to help will the Broncos to the championship. I believe in them. Now, a Kansas City fan is sitting up here close to the front. And I, right now, what can I say? But once we beat you, I'm going to rub it in on you, bro. I'm going to rub it. And then he, I'll rub it back. Where's my security people? Up here? So this is, <laughs> this is uh, Justin Simmons. Simmons happens to be my favorite player. I think he's the best safety playing uh, in football. Injured in five games last year and um, in 12, six interceptions in 12 games. And I think he's going to do better than that this year. Uh, I've actually had this shirt going on three years. And then the Lord did something spectacular for me. Justin Simmons started attending our church uh, earlier this summer. It was like the Lord was giving me a big fat kiss, right? So um, I, I didn't have to go out and buy this. I put it on. I know it's shameless, but man, I love the Nugs and I love Justin Simmons and he has a beautiful family and uh, feels connected here and we want to pray for this man. He's a direct connection here to Jubilee. I think a gift that God's given us just to be praying for health and over uh, the Broncos, and I'm excited to cheer for them this year. Win, lose, or draw, you got to be behind your team, man. That's just the bottom line, and I'm excited for where it's going to go this year. So uh, I'm kicking it off this way and making my stand right now. I believe it's playoff bound, and probably, probably, probably this is the last year. Um, last year was the last year for the dynasty of Kansas City, uh, Dan. Yeah, that was... <laughs> That was it, and uh, so, yeah, we'll see, you know, we'll see. But obviously the Lord is on my side, and so. <laughs> you know what, I've appreciated, you know, you, we love you. <laughs> we, uh, I appreciate that, you know, the Lord, if you'll remember, probably a year ago, the Lord had given me a word that if a celebrity came to our church, could we be a church that would allow them the benefit of just coming in and worshiping? Not having to surround them, not having to overwhelm them. Um, and his experience has been that he's just been able to come and to worship. Church, I want to say thank you for that. There really is one superstar in our church, and it's Jesus above everything else, right? And that's what, uh, that's what we look at. And while I'm grateful to have uh, Justin and his wife, Taryn Chuse here um, I'm more grateful to you to be able just to let them be part of a church. I think that's so important and probably so hard for a celebrity to be able to try to do. And so I pray that his greatest experience here will be that every week I really was able to hear from the Lord um, without having that taken away from me by everything else going on inside of the, the church. So uh, appreciate that. Hey, I want to give one more um, invitation a week from this coming Tuesday, August the 1st. Can you believe that August is that close to us? This year has flown. Summer has flown. Here we go into August. Um, we're going to have one of our missionaries in town, Larry Good, who's down in Peru. We have a group down there right now. Pastor Sabi sent me pictures this morning of what's going on in Peru, and they're having such a great time. And uh, Ari looks like he's just right in the middle of it with all of the kids. We have three grandkids that are down there with them right now, and they're doing so well. Um, but Larry's going to be here, and this is Sabi and Rebecca's first time of doing a missions meetup. Church, we just don't have a lot of exposure to our missionaries. And so many times I think people think, well, they're doing their job, and we give to that, or we pray for that, or we support that. You don't know what strength it brings to a missionary to have people come out and just cheer them on. And so from 6 to 8 here in the worship center, Larry and his team will be here. Larry's going to tell some of his stories. He's a tremendous teacher, but he's a great storyteller. And you really will enjoy Larry. And I want to invite you. Uh, our team will be here. I know that uh, sometimes that's like, you know, Pastor, I've got other plans, other things going on. I, I totally understand that. But uh, I would encourage you, be here to support it. You just don't know how important it is. It's not just dollars that make a difference. It's when you know people are behind you and they're praying for you. 
then it makes a difference. And I have to be careful when I say this. We support um, several different missionaries. All of our support is done through relationship. We don't do it by, hey, you know, a letter comes in or some report. We do it through relationship for this reason. I want to be able to stand up here every week and know that the dollars we're putting into the ministry are going into good ground, number one, and bringing back incredible fruit. I want to be able to say that to you every week. And that's not always true. Sometimes missionaries end up in positions that, you know, you support them because someone else told you this would be good. These are all people we're in relationship with, and we can report to you that the ground we sow in is bringing back tremendous fruit every week. And so would love for you to come out 6 to 8 here in the worship center August 1st. Uh, would love for you to be here for that. We'll have a good time. There'll be a little worship on the front end and then we'll let Larry and his team have some time and he'll do a Q&A time. And it might even convince you that you should take a trip down there. Yes. Four people were excited about that. <laughs> Rest of you are like, I didn't say anything. God, God can't make me do it. God will never make you do it. I think you go with vision. I think when you see the vision and the purpose behind it. You know what, I've, I, I've just always said, I still take mission trips for this reason. We operate in such a blessed country. One of the great things that happens for people, especially teens that go on these trips, all of a sudden it dawns on them what a high level they live with here in America. And it makes them very grateful. For How many of you would love to have grateful children? Send them on a mission trip, my friend. Send them on a mission trip. Let them see that, uh, you know, some of the pictures I have are kids doing fish, uh, feet washing of the orphans there and giving them a new pair of shoes. How many shoes do your kids have in the closet? How many shoes do you have? We, it's not a big deal to us, but it is a life-changing event for people. And when you can be involved in that, I think it's something. That's one of those things that I know that I know the Lord will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. And so whether you go, whether you pray, whether you support, however you do it, I want to encourage you with that. But I'd really love for you to come out and be a part of it. I want to support uh, Pastor Rebecca and Sabi. This is their first major deal in bringing a missionary in, and I want to show support for them. I think we have two of the finest missionary pastors that God's ever given us and such great vision with what God's doing. So. Uh, let's be a part of that, and I will remind you uh, one more week. Okay, our series is called Flawed Heroes, and here's what we're trying to do with this, just in case this is your first time. We're not looking for the worst people in the Bible in order to teach about, right? Our premise has been this. One, Jesus is the only perfect one among us. Do you agree with that statement right there? He was the only one. Everyone else in the Bible is human. Everyone else has a sin nature. Everyone else has flaws. The reason that the Bible includes the good with the bad, it's not trying to sell you a bill of goods to believe that if you come to God, you'll never have another problem. I think it's encouraging because what we can see in it is that people that love God and that did great things for God also had flaws in their life, and that should give you encouragement. I'll just, I'll just prove, how many of you have a flaw today? If you didn't raise your hand, I might know something about you. I'm going to bring it out right now. Yeah. Pastor knows a few things. You know, we all do, and I tease about that a little bit, but I think what it's supposed to show us is that there's hope for us, right? That we can do things even when we're struggling with a flaw. And remember, I started it with a quote from an old pastor. He's no longer even on this earth. He's in glory now. But he told me many, many years ago when he was starting to retire, he said, uh, John, I was just beginning and he was just ending uh, 70 some odd years in the ministry. And he told me, if you want to impress people, tell them of your successes. People love heroes. But if you want to impact people, tell them where you struggle and how you're learning to overcome because we all need to be led through the wilderness. We all need to figure out how to overcome. And I thought that was some of the best advice I've ever received. It's one of the things that makes me transparent when I teach and one of the things I always hear about that people appreciate with me. I never put myself up here and act like you're down here. We're all in the same boat needing a savior. That was true the day you came to Jesus, and it's still true today, and it will be until you make heaven. Amen? Amen. So we love Jesus. We follow him, even though we have flaws in our life. So our hero that we're going to talk about this weekend is Noah. And can you think of a flaw in Noah's life? I mean, Noah was a pretty incredible stud, to be honest with you. Built an ark when one had never been built before. 
Took him at least 75 years to build an ark. Can you imagine Noah's ministry? I mean, he's standing out. In the book of Peter, it says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. A preacher of righteousness. So it gives us an indication that while Noah was building the ark, as people were going by, asking him questions and seeing it, Noah was preaching to him, uh, you need to get on the ark. The Lord's going to destroy the earth in a flood. Uh, your only safety is going to be on the ark. It's actually a picture of Jesus. Jesus is called the ark of safety. The ark of safety. And you're safe when you come and get on the ark, when you give your heart to Jesus. So it's a picture of who Jesus was. And Moses is pictured as a deliverer. And so Moses would preach, preach righteousness for 75 years minimum. But here's my point real quickly. Today we measure success in ministry by how many people show up, yes or no? That's one of the big things. Pastors are guilty of it. People are guilty of it. It's, uh, counting is important. Counting is important, but it's not like the end-all, be-all. Because, you know, you can attract crowds. Uh, who, who, who was the, forgive me for the one, she was at Mile High? Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, thank you. You know what, I, sometimes I hear five times, sounds like an auction. Uh, yes, Taylor Swift attracted um, I, more than I've ever seen at Mile High, uh, an incredible amount, but I guarantee you the gospel wasn't preached that night. So we can attract crowds, there's no question about it, and some ministries attract tens of thousands of people, but I'm not sure that those ministries are always doing it uh, to tell about Jesus, right? And so somehow in our day and age, how many people show up, how much money's in the offering, how big the building is, that's the kind of thing where we measure success. So if we, if we apply that, though, to Noah, I want you to think about this. Noah preached for 75 years. That's a long time. How many people listened to Noah when it was time to get on the ark? How many? Name the number. Again, I'm hearing. What's the number? One, five, eight. Was Noah and his wife, three sons, three wives. His sons didn't have sons yet or daughters yet. So they, the, the eight of them got on the ark. Now, a ministry goes for 75 years, spent a tremendous amount of money on an ark. Noah preached for 75 years and only eight people <laughs> listened. If Noah lived in 2023, how would we measure his ministry? Means he had one convert every 10 years. Think about that. And they were his family. Like they had a choice. All right, dad, get on. It better rain. <laughs> so how about this? Maybe... The measurement that God looks at is faithfulness. Say that one more time. Maybe the measurement of success is your obedience and faithfulness. Maybe it's not how many. Maybe it's whether or not you were obedient and faithful to the Lord. I would call Noah's ministry successful for this reason alone. His family was saved. If your family makes it, you did okay. Is that good enough? If we get more, that's wonderful, but I would call him a success for that reason. I mean, Noah did a lot, but where's Noah's flaw? So I'm going to read to you Genesis chapter 9, 20 through 23, very short story. The Holy Spirit has a way of, man, what an editor. He can condense, uh, condense a story that um, would take a lot of words into like two sentences, but the problem is it's blunt. So I'm going to read you a very blunt story. Uh, and, and Noah's flaw. So remember, Noah did an incredible thing for the Lord. So we pick up Genesis 9, 20 through 23. You can follow along. After the flood. So how long after the flood? We're going to measure how many years here in just a second. Noah began to cultivate the ground, and he planted a vineyard. How long would it take to cultivate the ground and plant a vineyard and get grapes? How many years? Seven? Ten? Fifteen? Twenty? I don't know exactly. I've never done that, but I know if you're starting from scratch, you're not picking up someone else's work, you've got to start from scratch. You're not doing that in one or two years. Do you agree with that? 
So this is several years after the flood uh, has taken place. And then we have one more measurement that I'll show you. Uh, but here's the story condensed down. One day he drank some wine he had made and he became drunk and lay naked inside of his tent. Doesn't the Bible condense a story just like, boom. <laughs> Doesn't like, you know, he grew some grapes, drank the wine, got drunk and lay naked inside of his tent. If you think the Bible's trying to hide anything, do you agree? I mean, that's not hiding anything. That's like, it's all out there. He had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, in that order. Ham, and then it says the father of who? Which is where the Canaanites came from, and the Canaanites were mortal enemies. The Bible says that they were idolaters and wicked people, and God actually had to displace them and destroy them. Because they were so wicked, they would have polluted Israel. So at this point, Ham has become the father of Canaan, and Canaan is not a little boy. Canaan is a young adult at least, so we are probably 20 years past the flood at this point. Can you see that? Right? He had to grow a vineyard. And Ham now has a grandson, a son, Noah's grandson named Canaan. Um, so Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. His first reaction was not to help his father. His first reaction was not to cover him up. His first reaction was not to keep his mouth shut. His first reaction was, how many people can I tell about what I've just seen? His real motivation here is not to expose sin. His real motivation here is to embarrass his father. To take away his dignity. Uh, if you read further in this, it says, When Noah woke up and realized what Ham and Canaan had done to him, which makes us think that there was something more than they just looked at him. Now, I'm not going to get into that today. It goes into the idea... Because in order for him to realize something had been done to him, they had to do more than just look at him. You don't know if somebody's looked at you when you're passed out, but if they've done something to you when you wake up, you realize. Does that make sense? Okay, so there's a bigger message in this, but that's not where I want to go with this. So Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked, went outside and told his brothers. Then Shem and Japheth, the oldest and the youngest, took a robe, held it over their shoulders, and backed into the tent to cover their father. As they did this, they looked the other way so they would not see him naked. So literally, uh, he's in his tent. They put some kind of a robe on their shoulders, turn their heads away, back in so that they don't expose their father, embarrass their father, or shame their father, lay it over him, and leave without looking at his mistake. Now, a lot of us would call that a cover-up. A lot of us would say, man, that, that needs to be exposed. That's the kind of thing that can't go on. He's a leader. You can't do things like that. I would say, I think that this story's in here for a completely other reason. What do you think this story is about? Is it about the evils of alcohol? You know, we're having a daiquiri chuck after... I told Jake, if we ever decided to do a, a real one, we'd have the biggest turnout we've ever had. <laughs> but we couldn't survive the reputation. We would get after it. So we'd get a lot of people, but it'd be over with after that, man. <laughs> so I don't, think that, um, I don't think that that's what this is about, although... I guess you could take it in that uh, way. Let me tell you what I felt like the Holy Spirit told me. I think what we have here is three reactions to sin. Three reactions to sin. I think that they're common. I think they're found in the church. I think they're found in the world. I think that one of them is just an abomination. One of them is helpful, but it doesn't go far enough. And one of them does exactly what it's supposed to do. If the church could act in the way that I'm going to point out to you, how good would it be when people messed up if they knew they had a safety net and able to be restored. Yeah. So what makes that important then would be this. Um, how good would it be if you all admitted to me that you have a flaw? 
that you struggle. How good would it be if you knew that even if you struggled, you were welcome here and you had people who didn't justify it, but people who were willing to help you get your dignity back and get you back where you could resume your life and move forward in Christ. What kind of a church would that be? I think that's the church that Jesus died for. I think that's the one that he wants. I'm going to prove it to you from scripture. Now, if you're a legalist and you're like, man, we got to get the sin out, we got to get the sin out. So I understand your point, but you know what I've heard? When you teach on grace, it makes legalists mad. So don't be mad today, or at least don't show it. Because it puts your heart in a place that it shouldn't be. I'll make a statement, and I'll come back and prove where my statement comes from. The way we know that you understand grace is how you respond to somebody else's sin. I'm going to prove that to you from Scripture. I'll say it one more time. The way we know that you understand grace or that you're experiencing grace is how you respond to somebody else's sin. I'm going to teach you from a parable that Jesus gave us. The way we know that you understand or get grace is how you respond to somebody else's sin. So let's go through the three real quick. If you're taking the online notes and you want to fill in the blank, three reactions to sin. The first one is that people reveal it. Ham's first motivation, his first thought, his first idea, his way of handling his father's sin was to leave the tent and immediately tell his brothers and all around who would listen to him. What's his point for doing that? Is it to try to make sure it never happens again? Is it try to make sure that Noah never follows down this ugly path again? Or is he doing this because he likes the idea of exposing what his father did? Something inside him is perverse. And it enjoys making sure that everybody else knows he made the worst mistake he could ever make. Somehow, something inside of people, when they're in the wrong place emotionally or spiritually, wants to reveal somebody else's sin. To reveal means to expose, to judge, listen to the word, to gossip. Say that with me. Gossip or to shame a person. Ham's response was to expose his father. He couldn't think of a better way to help his father. He couldn't think, hey, no one else needs to know about this. Dad's made a terrible mistake. I need to cover him up right now. I can talk about it later. We can figure out what needs to change. But his response wasn't to restore the dignity of his father. It was to make sure the dignity of his father could never be given again. That's wicked. Proverbs 16, 28. I'm going to count to three. I'd like you to read it with me. One, two, three. A person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. How clear can that be? What kind of spirit of a person (laughs) stirs up conflict? A perverse person. A person who gets joy from somebody else suffering. A person who loves the fact that they can point out the mistake that you made. If you have a friend who does that, can I tell you the truth? They're not your friend. They're in no way, shape, or form your friend. And we do it under all sorts of weird ways. Hey, I got a prayer request. Noah drank, got drunk, and was naked in his tent. Can we pray for him? Isn't that spiritual? A perverse person loves to stir up trouble and a gossip separates relationships. The second one is to react to someone's sin. Japheth, Japheth's the youngest. Sham, Ham, and Japheth is the order of the brother. Jacob is, Japheth is the youngest. Japheth reacted to the sin, which I feel like is where many people in the church are at. So let me give you a definition for react. It means to have compassion. It means to get involved. Japheth helped his father. His brother Shem came up with the idea to get the robe and to walk in backwards, and his brother helped him. But it wasn't his brother's idea. So let me give you a scripture real quickly, I think, that kind of fulfills that. And this is where I think a lot of people in the church are at, and we think this is enough. Hey, John. How you doing? Love you, bro. Good to see you, man. No, I mean that with all of my heart. Suppose you see a brother or sister. Pull it back in. 
Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, and I hope you have a great day. And dude, I'm praying that you stay warm and you eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does your good intention do to somebody? And I think so many in the church see somebody struggling in a situation, struggling with a sin, struggling with a fault, struggling with a dirty mistake. You know what I know about sin? Sin is messy. Have you figured that out? The bottom line, it is messy. At first, it doesn't seem that way. The devil puts it in a package that makes you think, oh, dude, I really want this really bad. But as soon as you open it, it gets messy. And the more you touch it, the messier it gets. So what happens is we see that We feel bad for someone. We may keep our mouth shut about it. We're not going to gossip about it, but we say platitudes to people. Dude, I'm praying for you. Now, it's one thing to mean that, and praying for somebody is the right thing to do, but I think often we say those words without intentions behind them. Do you know how easy it is to say I'm praying? It's almost like the Christian, you know, do well, be well, be warm. Hope everything's okay. I'm praying for you. Are you? Can I throw something out that I hope I don't want to scare you, but I hope it's serious. You know that when God hears you say you're praying for someone, the expectation is you're praying for someone. And I do believe we will answer for every careless word, and that's a careless word to say, I'm praying for you, and to not pray. Thank you for praying for us this week. The Lord answered your prayers in a mighty, mighty way, bro. Thank you. Thank you for thinking of us and just just writing us. Um, I think to say, be warm, be well, be taken care of, and yet not to feel like I've got to get involved in that, that, that's not what real Christianity is about. Real Christianity doesn't feel good about saying, hey, be warm, and I hope things work out for you. Real Christianity says, how can I help you? Do you believe that? Aren't you glad that Jesus from heaven didn't say, hey, praying for you? <laughs> Seriously. See, I think about that. Now, I'm joking, but think, aren't you glad you just, man, I hope you stay warm. Hope you make it. Aren't you glad he had enough compassion in him that he left heaven to do something about the plight that we were in? And we are most like our Jesus when we do what our Jesus does. Do you believe that? You know what made the first church so powerful is that they believed that that was true and their job was to do and be Jesus on the earth so that if someone, a believer in particular, was hurting, how do I come alongside you? How do I walk you through this? And how do I get you back where you're restored and in the right place? Do we believe that? But you know the problem with that? It's hard. It takes a lot of work. And if sin is messy and they're messed up, that means you are going to get messed up and dirty too. And not many people are willing to do that. So while I think it's admirable not to gossip and to feel compassion for someone, there is a third level that I think we're called to, and I think we see it in the life of Jim, uh, Shim. So the first one was they reveal sin. The second one is they react to it. They care. They have compassion. But, you know, kind of like, yeah, be warm, well-fed. I hope you do well. The third one is that they help people to get restored. Do you know the highest level of compassion towards someone is to help them get their life back? To give them a bridge. To make it possible to get back where they can move forward. Sometimes we think you got what you deserve. Let me say something. Oh my goodness, that makes me so mad. Can I point something out to you? You know what makes that statement wrong? They got what they deserved. If you got what you deserved. You want to know what the real definition of the gospel of Jesus Christ is? You didn't get what you deserved. He got what you deserved, and you get what he deserves. And if we get that, then it changes us so that we're not okay with someone getting what they deserve. You made that mistake, you eat it. God, I'm glad Jesus didn't say that to me. Are you hungry? Because you're going to eat that sin. No. Mm. So I think the idea of restoration then comes in. And I think what you see in Shim's life is Shim realized what his dad need was not a lecture. Dad didn't need to be judged. Dad is a good guy who's made a terrible mistake. You know what's funny about this? Nowhere else do we read what God did to Noah because of his sin. Why? 
Because I don't think that's the important part of the story. It's between Noah and God, not me, you, Noah, and God. Yeah, but get the big butt out of it. <laughs> to restore, that's the third fill in the blank, fourth fill in the blank. Restore means to listen, mom, cover, recover, restore dignity, to protect, to act on their behalf, shim promoted grace. He promoted grace. I'm going to talk about grace in just a minute. Proverbs 10 to, I want to read you three scriptures that show that this is correct and it's biblical. Hatred stirs up conflict, but that, that might be the worst we've ever done in. Okay. I'm going to count to three from the beginning. We're all going to read out loud. One, two, three. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrong. How many wrongs? All. Lisa, how many is all? Right? You got to go to Bible school to mess this up. All is all. All means all. Listen, Ben, all doesn't mean a few cents. All doesn't mean someone who's done it a hundred times. All means all. This should be good news to us. We should find ourselves relating to this, not on the other side of this, thinking, I'm glad I am not like a sinner. You know who says that? Publicans who Jesus rejected out of hand. Let me give you another one. Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates what? Close friends. Let me give you one more from the New Testament. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all. I mean, help me out with that. Above all. I mean, how, what does that cover? All? So I know you're thinking, yeah, but. No, no, above all. And this is what I know. I heard this years ago from a guy named Malcolm Smith, who's one of the greatest grace preachers ever. Malcolm Smith said this, Pastor, if you ever preach grace right, the legalist in your church will be nervous and angry at you. Don't be angry and don't be nervous. If it's biblical, embrace it. But I wasn't raised that way. <laughs> You're here now. But that's not what my pastor said. I'm your pastor now. This is what the Bible says. It's not what I say. It's what the Bible says. Do you agree? This is Bible. Well, you're taking it out of context. What part? <laughs> what part? Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sin, sin mistakes. Drugs. Lies, alcohol, thank you. I've got a story on alcohol I'm going to tell here in just a moment. Love covers over a multitude of sins. It doesn't say half or three-quarter or name a particular one. It gives this big blanket statement that love does this thing. Here's what I, here's what I know. People are like, Pastor, when you preach this, what you're doing is giving a license to people to go out and mess up. Let me just make my statement. People are already messed up. So how do you know that? I'm a pastor. Done this for many, many years. I know people are trying, but I know people. And so here, and I know what it is too. You see, the mess up is, we think it's some gross sin. Mess up is an attitude of the heart. It's when you judge other people. It's when you hate other people. I don't hate anybody. How do you talk about them while they're driving? You know that Jesus said it's murder in your heart? So I'm not pointing at you. This guy has had to totally change the way he drives. Totally. Because I'm a wretch when I do it. Call priceless people 
ugly things. It's amazing how many stupid people drive in Denver. Okay, uh, Jesus has a parable. It's not in your notes. I'm going to read it to you. This is Matthew 18, not all of it. Um, it has to do with forgiveness, but even more than that, it has to do with understanding how much you've been forgiven, which should, look, let me try to do this. If, so my statement that the way I know you really understand grace is how you respond to somebody else's sin. It's not something I made up. I pull it from the parable I'm about to read to you, and you will see it. And I will show you the difference between grace and mercy, just in case you're wondering what the two are. Jesus gives us an example. But what I want you to see more than anything is this person receives this incredible grace and mercy, and it doesn't change his heart. How can we receive grace and mercy and it doesn't penetrate our heart? How can that be? I don't understand that. Because if you really have received God's mercy, it should change everything. Don't you agree with that? It should change not only how we feel about ourselves and what God's done, but we should see other people as in much need of that grace, just like we needed it. So how can you receive the grace of God and it not change your heart? And that's what this parable is. So it begins with forgiveness, it ends with forgiveness, but the middle of it talks about this this grace that didn't change this person's heart, and it should have. And so this is from Matthew uh, is 18, and I'm going to just read this to you. Follow along. Um, I'll give you the reference. 18, we're going to look at 21 to 35. Okay. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked a question. Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me, and Peter is actually being generous. Seven times, it's a biblical number. Seven times. And Jesus, <laughs> no, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. It's a colloquial saying, meaning as many times as is necessary. It's not 490 times. You didn't fulfill the law at 490 times. Jesus is saying, dude, whatever it takes, that's what you give. Where does Jesus get this from? That's what he's done for us. He's wanting this to penetrate Peter's heart. Does that make any sense? Now, this is important. Let me teach you uh, Bible School 101. The next verse in verse 3 begins with therefore. So I was always taught when you read the therefore, it's a connecting bridge between the previous statement and the one that's about to be made. So if you read the words, therefore, go back and read what you just read and then connect it to the next statement. Does that make sense? So in order to do that, let me read this to you one more time. Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Colloquial for as many times as it takes. Therefore... Now he's going to connect a parable to teach what he just said to Peter. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decides to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him, look at this, millions of dollars. He could not pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, everything he owned to pay the debt. The man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Verse 27, then his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt. You want a definition of mercy and grace? Mercy is the master was filled with pity for him. Mercy is when God has pity on you when you don't deserve it. But grace goes one step further. So the master felt pity on where this man was at in his life. But grace is this. He released him and forgave him all the debt. Pity, mercy is when God says, okay, I get it. You can't do anything about it. But grace comes in and pays what you can't pay. It pays the debt 
It's not just, I feel sorry for you. I get it. You're in tough places. Okay, I'll wait. Instead of waiting, here's what he says. You know what? You don't owe me anything. All forgiven, all good. That's grace. That's grace. Now, would you say to me what happened to this man was powerful? If that happened to you, would it only have touched your mind and made you happy? Or would it have touched your heart and made a difference in how you live your life? Here's the problem with grace. For some people, it changes everything. And for some people, it just allows them to be free from what they did, but they keep living the same life they were living before. Do you hear me? Grace becomes nothing more than a life to keep doing wrong, not to do right. When the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Notice the difference. He owed a million. He's only owed a few thousand. He grabbed the man by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down and begged and begged for a little more time. Gave the exact same speech. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor would not wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to, be pr- to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Listen how it ends. This, this is Jesus That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brother and your sister from your heart. The gentle Jesus makes a very harsh statement. The moral of this story is the man who was forgiven so much, it changed his mind and made him happy, but it didn't change his heart. Can I make my statement one more time? The way I know you actually get grace is how you respond to someone else's sin. That's where it comes from. You have received grace, but for some people, all it is, it's a mental exercise. I'm free. I'm going to go to heaven. God's been merciful to me. But it didn't change your heart enough to do for someone else what's been done for you. And the Lord says, I'm going to judge you because of that. That's a tough word right there. And instead of being mad at me or running away from me or trying to figure out how to get out of it, let it change your heart. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to scare you. Sorry you jump. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Trying to make a point, trying to make a point. Are you okay? Are you okay, huh? Sorry, I saw you jump. Forgive me for, I'm sorry. Let me come over here and do the same thing. Instead of letting it change your mind, let it change your heart. Give unto others what's been given to you. The way I know you've experienced true grace, it changes your heart. Instead of being judgmental towards someone's sin, you realize what God's done towards your sin. You walk around, thank God I'm not like them. You are like them. You're worse than them. Because you experience grace in your head, but it doesn't change your heart. So you can remain hard-hearted, and you think everything's okay. And God's telling you, this is what my Father will do to you in heaven if you don't forgive people, if you don't get grace in your heart. Do you hear me right now? Is Pastor John too mean? Oh, man, I hate it when he takes vacations. He comes back too fired up. (laughs) No, this is how I am all the time. It's really the Simmons jersey, man. It makes me tough. I love you I love you so much I'm telling you the truth right now and that the best part about this message is you don't have to leave here feeling condemned and you don't have to leave here feeling down or ugly or feeling guilty you can leave here today going God this has got to get into my heart I just see in me and mama I can't understand how this guy can be forgiven so much And yet he can turn around and treat somebody in such a terrible way. Because the grace made it to his head, but it never made it to his heart. Guys that have tended with me for a long period of time, shuttlers, just looking around and thinking of people, Terry, 
Nance, Todd, Becca, it's just Mike, Amy, your whole life. Chris, Julia for a long time, people that have been with me for a long time, how many times have I said this? The distance between, Ray, your head and your heart, how far is this? Tell me how many inches. 18 inches? Why does it take 50 years to go from here to here? Why for some people can it go from here to here in one moment because they realize what God has done for them? You want to know part of it? Part of it's pride. We don't think that God's done that much for us. We see ourselves as not as dirty as someone else or as bad off as someone else. I just want you to know, God doesn't waste sin. There won't be any scales when you get to heaven. Well, I only said the D word, God. They said the F word. Apparently, nobody knows what that is in our church. (laughs) Fakers, 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 fakers. We measure sin. The D word put Jesus on a cross. Your anger put Jesus on a cross. Your affair put Jesus on a cross. Look at me. Your temper put Jesus on a cross. The sin nature you were born with put Jesus on a cross. Every one of us are guilty for the necessity of the sacrifice of the Lamb. Is that so foreign to the church today? Am I teaching something that's so, it's hurtful or it's shocking? My God, this is the very foundation of what we believe, why we believe what we believe, and why it should change our lives, church. Okay, I'll finish up. I know I... How do I want to do this? I'm going to do it this way. How much time do I... Oh, nuts. Um... I know, uh, we have trucks waiting, and I know it's, there's a motorcycle ride. It's, it's not even 11.30. Can I tell a story? Two stories. I got two stories. They're really good stories. Okay, all right. Um, the first one, Chris and I uh, use this book. Jeff, can you pull it up real quick? Moments Together for Couples. If you're looking for a good daily devotional, really easy to read, Chris and I use this one right here. I would recommend it by Dennis and Barbara Rainey, who are very famous uh, writers, and they really write good. It only takes about 10 to 15 minutes, and uh, it has a place to ask questions, and then you can pray. We use a couple of others, but if you only did one, here's the one that I would recommend to any couple in this church. I think you'll get a lot out of it, and I would just uh, I would encourage you with it. Um, this week, a guy called me, and he really um, messed up with alcohol, really messed up. Um, just use your imagination. I, I can't say any more. Um, but on the very day that he called us, we read this, and I know that the Holy Spirit gave it to us to give to him. And I normally wouldn't read a devotion in my message, but just this whole grace and mercy thing, it fits so well. It's called Wrong Way Regals. The scriptures, Galatians 6, 9, let us not lose heart in doing good. Um, Have you heard of Wrong Way Regals? Roy Regals played in the 1929 Rose Bowl for the University of California and made one of the most uh, famous mistakes in the history of football. He picked up a fumble, looked up, and saw nothing but green grass ahead of him, and he ran more than 60 yards in the wrong direction. Finally, he was tackled by his teammate inside their own 10-yard line. California was forced to punt, and Georgia Tech blocked the kick and scored. At halftime, the California coach gave a rousing call to his dispirited team. At the end, he declared, same team that started the first half will start the second half. This meant Roy was going to start the second half. All the players ran out onto the field except Roy. Coach, I cannot go out there, Roy said. I'm completely humiliated. 
The coach looked Roy in the face and said, Roy, the game is only half over. Now get out there and play the rest of the game. The words of that coach are worth remembering today. If you're a parent, or if you've made a mistake, or if you feel ashamed, or if you feel there's no way back, you may have a nine-year-old in your thinking, the game is half over, and in nine years, he'll be going to college. Or your oldest may be 12, 15, or 30, and you look back with regret at your mistakes in parenting, and you think you've already lost the game. It is at this point where we need the encouragement of Charles Spurgeon, who said, listen, it was by perseverance the snail reached the ark. that man I never thought I wonder how long ahead God had to tell the snail you got to get going <laughs> listen to the conclusion you cannot change what's happened in the past and neither can I what you can change is what you do in the future do you know what people need encouragement do you know what they need People who don't just say, be encouraged, they need people to take them by the hand or get involved in their situation and say, let me help you get back to the place that you're supposed to be. So I'll close with this. Not because it makes Chris and I look good, but it's just an example of what I'm trying to say to you. Um, I met a friend all the way back in Bible school. He was in Bible school and I had just graduated. And I was in my first pastorate as a youth pastor. And he was a superstar, man. Kid at 18 years old could preach better than anybody I'd ever heard preach. And then as time goes on, he marries his equal, who is a great preacher. And they make a great team, and they start a great church. And the Lord blesses it, and it booms. And Chris and I, from time to time, would go out and speak for them. And they'd come here and speak. And we enjoyed that so, so much. Then the pandemic hit. The pandemic did all sorts of weird things to people, but churches too. And my friend ended up in a really funky place where... You know, here, we were shut down for a little while, but I felt like, you know, the governor doesn't get to choose when we do church. Amen. The Lord gets to choose. So we're going to start, and they come in and shut us down. We'll see what happens. They were forced to be unable to meet for over a year, and it killed their finances. A lot of the people of the church left, and it put them in this really dark, dark place of depression, and in a moment that was not what his character had been for 28 years. Listen to this. For 28 years, this guy lived the life. But in a moment of mistake, he messed up in his marriage. Is that enough? Lost his marriage, lost his ministry, lost his reputation, and he lost his children. And the person that calls me is a person that wants to expose him like Ham. Can you believe that so-and-so did this. I don't take those things lying down. I'm like, bro, what have you done about it? To which the phone call was over after that. And I got on an airplane, and I went to find him in another state, and I found him. And he was working at a restaurant, and he had rented a room, and so he made just enough money. He got off between 1 and 2 in the morning. He made just enough money and tips to pay for his room, and that's where his life was at. He could just barely survive. And at first I was like, man, we're praying for you and we want you to do well and I know you can make your way back. And then I go home and the Lord tells Chris and I, you need to bring him here and you need to bring him into your home and get him back on his feet again. Let's work for a reconciliation. And we worked super hard for that. Got him into counseling and he lived with us for six months. That's a long time. That is a long time. We have a special needs son that lives with us. It was a sacrifice. The goal was not to get him back into ministry. The goal was that his life is worth something. And we're going to stand with you during this time. And he ended up getting a divorce, so we had to walk him through the divorce. And recently, he recovered enough where he was able to get his own apartment. Got him back on his feet. And we're not through it yet, but man, 
It has come so far. And he grabbed Chris and I and just told us how much he loved us. He said, you're my only friends. He said, I lost all the friends that I thought I had, and you're my only friends in the world. How can that be? John, how can that be? He was part of a denomination that he thought would stand behind him, and they did the opposite. They did everything they could to undo. Now, don't pat us on the back because we're not special people. You know what we did? We did what Jesus would have done in that situation. Because we believe that real Christianity is moved to compassion for people and that doesn't just say, be blessed and be warm and I'm praying for you and I hope you do well, man, and we'll be cheering over here on the side. Real Christianity is messy. And requires a commitment. And my first argument with the Lord was, God, I'm too old for this now. That's right, I'm too old for this now. I did that when I was younger, but come on. I mean, how long do you argue with the Lord before you finally just say I think one of the benefits of being older is you don't argue as long as you used to. Yes, sir. And we did it. And it doesn't make us good. You know what it makes us? Active believers. Okay, so here's my question. What would it be like if a church did that? What if, it been, what if we moved out of our comfort zone and out of what, you know, hey, my routine and I don't want to mess it up and I'm willing to... Isn't that the church that Jesus died for? Isn't it? And dude, maybe you're like, no, it's not the church I grew up in. Well, thank God you're here. What a chance for us to do something now. What a chance to do it now. And does it disturb your daily routine? Yes. And does it take a lot of effort? Yes. But I think that's what Christianity 101 is. Not 401 or 501 or graduate Christianity. I think that's the minimum Christianity is. It should show, so change our lives that our ability to be involved with somebody should not be, well, I, 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 it's too hard. I, Aren't you glad that God didn't say it was too hard? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't take the attitude? I don't want to get messy. It's pretty clean up here in heaven. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. That is not my, I hope I never come across, Roberta, I hope I never come across that way. I hope that that's, ne- I don't want to make anybody feel bad or guilty, but my goodness, I don't want us to feel okay about just hearing a message, but it doesn't change our, it doesn't get in our heart. And when we take the attitude, they deserve what they got. Be grateful you didn't deserve what you got, friend. May it change your life that much that you're grateful you didn't, you didn't get what you deserved. Huh? And that's where we should live, and we should never forget that, and I'm done. Said enough, and there you go. So I'm going to pray. And Pastor Jake will close the service, and then we can go out and eat. So, Lord, what do we do with this? And I know people hear it, and <laughs> they think, well, you're a pastor. You're supposed to do that. Oh, my goodness, I'm a believer. Pastor is profession. I'm a believer first and a pastor second. I'm a believer first and a husband second. I'm a believer first and a father second. I'm a believer. And it's changed my heart and it's changed my life. And if it's been so long, church, then my prayer for you and your prayer should be, Holy Spirit, make it real to me again. Holy Spirit, show me in my heart what you've done for me, what you've forgiven me. And God, make me a person who can move in what you've done for me to be able to touch a hurting world. And you don't have to touch everybody. Maybe there's just one person. Maybe it's a person in your family. Maybe it's your spouse. Hmm. And instead of demanding a pound of flesh or prove to me that you've changed, What I say, I say by the Holy Spirit right now. 
Maybe it's a matter of being a person who's full of grace and the Holy Spirit. Who's willing to be long-suffering, even more so. Of course, I have a single message that doesn't have time to address all the issues of sin. It doesn't have time to address all the issues of a person who says sorry but never changes. I, I know that there's two sides to this message. But the one that God gave me is the response of the church. I don't want to be Ham. I don't want to be Japheth. I want to be like Shem. I want to find answers and ways to restore, to help, to bring dignity, to put back in place what's been broken. God is so merciful to us. And the way we know that we understand that grace is the way that we treat someone else when we discover their sin. God, would you please help us? Would you please be merciful? And would you make Jubilee a place, God, where this is true in every way? Church, if you want that, will you say amen with me? Amen. amen. Love you. Thank you for listening to me. The Lord bless and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and give you his peace. And Lord, I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen.